0: I had a plan. It was not a good plan, but it was my plan. I graduated high school a while ago, um, and I thought, man, you know what, I I really, really, really need to get a job. So I probably should go to college or go get some training. Because I I figured with an education, somebody's going to give me a job, and if if I have a job, somebody's going to give me some money. And I thought, man, I like money, and money, I would use it for an honorable cause to impress girls. It was, it was my plan. They were, I'm not, it's not saying it's a good plan, but it was a plan. I, it's what I had, and I actually liked it back then. It was a fantastic idea because I liked John. I liked being happy. I liked getting things that I liked. I liked having my way. I'm, I, I'm kind of a leader, aggressive kind of guy, and I, I liked making John happy. And something came and just destroyed that. Something came and just totally reworked that. Um, my summer after I graduated high school, something crazy happened. Uh, and I ended up going to St. Louis Christian College to play basketball. I'm not a Christian at this point. I grew up in a house that basically thought that religion was there to order the masses. Um, I had some Christian friends in high school, and they were weird, but you know, whatever. They kept their religion on Sundays, and so it didn't affect me much. I say this kind of funny, kind of sad. Well, when I was at St. Louis Christian College playing basketball, I, I had just the craziest thing happen. I met people with with stories, stories about how God has changed them from one person to another, stories and friends, friendships to this day I still have. I also, since I was at a Bible college, had to take a bunch of Bible classes. I opened my first Bible after I bought my first Bible on freshman orientation. <laughs> I didn't do well that year. Anyway, with my nose in the Bible, studying, reading, and thinking, what is this? What's going on? from life change stories that I've seen and heard from my buddies and my coaches and just people around me, to, to really looking at Scripture, I thought, whoa, this is, this, is, this, is, this is interesting. This is not what I thought it was. And somewhere, somehow, some voice in my head was starting to yell at me like, hey, John, I love you. John, I love you. Did you get that? Hey, John, you're loved. And I'm like, woo God likes John. High five God, because I like John. <laughs> the longer I walked down this road of following after Jesus and trying to figure out who and how and why and how do I react to this and is my life going to look different, all of a sudden I started reading scripture and seeing examples in my life. There was another little voice in my head. It said, but this life isn't about you. This life isn't about you, and I put my hands up and said, woohoo, God loves me, yeah, because I wasn't a great listener. (laughs) The longer I stayed on this path of trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is, the more I'm challenged to be less like John and more like Jesus. I would love to say after 17 years of being a Christian, 14 years of youth ministry, that I'd have this one pretty much taken care of. I don't. I don't. I struggle. I struggle with my personal life making sure that, is this about me? Is this about my knees? Is this about my happiness, my smile? In my family, Stacy and I, my wonderful wife, we have these hard conversations of how we we raise our kids. How do we spend our money? Who are we hanging out with? How much time are we spending in uh, a relationship with our neighbors or people down the street or we just kind of hold up in church? These are hard conversations we have because... We're not doing fantastic at it. I'd love to say everything's great, but it's not. My assumption, I'm not the only one in here. So I don't come today with this nugget of truth to give you and you're like, oh yeah, you gave me something. No, it, 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 I come here with a problem. I don't want to talk to you guys about it because we're family, dysfunctional, but family. <laughs> we are called, we are challenged to be less like self and more like Christ. I screw up, sometimes, with this idea of looking around and trying to figure out, well, where am I on the totem pole? Not judging people like, but like, where do I stack up? I do this sometimes with money, and it's not a great great hobby, but I I look look at my neighbor's cars, and I look at their stuff, and if they get a boat or not, and if they have a nice house. I sometimes do it with my spiritual life. I work 10 feet away from Tom Ellsworth's office, Roger, Jeremy Earle, guys that I look up to that I would say, wow, they're pretty awesome and I wish I could be like them someday when I grow up. And I judge, am I, am I in the right spot? Am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I going to the right Bible studies? Am I, am I doing the right stuff? And, and instead of actually putting John in a position of, of saying, hey, am I more like Christ? I'm putting myself in position of like, hey, am I more like Tom? Am I more like Jeremy? Am I more like Stacy? the people that I look up to? Or am I actually just saying, hey, I'm, I'm making me less to make him more? Uh, John was a great friend of Jesus. Um, hung around him for years, um, saw amazing miracles, amazing things happen. Uh, there were many countless nights of hanging around the fireplace, John having a conversation with Jesus. They, they were buddies. And he writes about another John, John the Baptist. So this is John telling you, the author John, talking about John the Baptist. So if you're confused, I'm sorry. Um, but what John is saying about John, which is saying about John the Baptist, is he kind of had a life's goal, kind of like a life's motto. Um, John the Baptist was focused on letting people know what he, that he or Jesus must become greater and I must become less. John the Baptist had a pretty hard job he was setting up the stage, setting up the world for people to know who Jesus was. He came before Christ and was starting to tell people, hey guys, hey guys, it's not, it's not about the rules, it's about God. It's not, it's not necessarily what you do or don't do or judge others, it's, it's about how you live for God. Jesus comes and basically just wrecks lives, reworks lives, flips priorities. John the Baptist is not normally somebody that I would trust. I would not trust somebody who is living, wandering in the desert, wearing camel hair, and eating bugs. I'm not saying I would agree with that person all the time. You might not either. You would not sign up for a seminar saying, hey, I want to hear that guy speak. That sounds great. I'll pay 50 bucks. No, we would look at him and say he's kind of a crazy person. So it got got me thinking, like, so is God really calling John the Baptist to be less so that Jesus could be more? Or is he calling me, calling us? That's what I want to talk about today. One goal, one point, that's it. Jesus destroys our self-centered way of life. How do we make him more and us less? We're going to talk about a couple guys um, and see if anything resonates with you. The first guy we're going to talk about, um, his name is Zach. And Zach has a bad reputation in the church. I wasn't raised in the church, but really, if I say Zacchaeus, you're going to sing a song, don't sing the song hmm. But poor Zacchaeus is known to be short and a tree climber. That's it. That's horrible. Poor guy. Like That's no fun. Zacchaeus was kind of awesome. Matter of fact, if I didn't tell you his name or his occupation and he lived today, he would be the model or picture of living out the American dream. Successful. Wealthy. He was in a job that a lot of people worked for him. He had a lot of friends in government. He was successful. He was respected, hated, and even feared. And we as Americans, we would say, "Hmm, yeah, that sounds good. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Basically, back in the day, a chief tax collector was the very tippity top of a pyramid scheme. You would get people to rob other people, and then you would rob those people. So you would have a bunch of people taken off the top of everybody else and then Zacchaeus taken off the top of them. We would call that a Ponzi scheme or we would call that horrible and nasty. They did too. The, the Jewish people really could not stand these traitors of tax collectors. But if, again, if I didn't tell you his job, you would look at him and say, oh, he's got it down. He's got a big, nice house on the hill. He's got the latest model donkey. You know, whatever. <laughs> he's, uh, he's not too bad. I kind of think of Zacchaeus as more of a gangster than a tree climber. Let's read Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and very wealthy, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to find him. Since Jesus was coming that way, um, when Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said to him, Hey, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I'm going to stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Although people saw this and began to mutter, because that's what church people do, <laughs> he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. All right, there's more, and we're going to get to it in just a second, but I feel like there should be like a page break or a chapter break, because basically what we see Zacchaeus is is all about Zacchaeus. He didn't show up that day to be like, oh, I hate my money, I hate my stuff, I hate my donkeys. Not at all. He came to show up and he's like, hey, there's this guy that's walking around, I hear his name is Jesus, and people are flocking to him, I want to be a part of it too. This is a guy that's wealthy and prominent and people respect and fear and hate all the same time, and he climbs a tree. He wasn't after life change. He wasn't after Jesus saying, hey, you got to change your stuff. He was just trying to figure out who he was. So Jesus comes walking by, looks up in the tree, and says, hey, Zacchaeus, you want want to get lunch? Let's go have a meal. And Zacchaeus is like, yeah, let's do that. And I can imagine, because in between the sentences, a lot happens. I don't know how long Zacchaeus and Jesus hung out. It could have been an hour. It could have been two. It could have been brunch. It could have been lunch. It could have been a long giant party. If, if Zacchaeus is anybody that I have seen before in this life, he probably invited a bunch of friends and he catered it out and there was a ton of people and a ton of the right people there. And maybe he was even kind of thumbing his nose to the religious leaders at the time saying, hey, you know what? You, you hate me, but this Jesus guy, he's coming to my house. Something ultimately reworked Zacchaeus. And this is the crazy thing. Zacchaeus wasn't changed because of a belief system. He wasn't changed because of a a commandment, but because spending time with Jesus. He just had lunch with Jesus. He spent a few hours with Jesus. And let's read uh, the rest of the story. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Everybody's... But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today... Salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what is lost. His life was reworked from self-centered success to kingdom success. Zacchaeus wasn't looking for change, but Jesus found him. Maybe not a lot of people in here that would totally relate to the gangster pyramid scheme guy. I can understand that. Let's try a church guy. The church guy. So let's look at our friend Nick. Nicodemus, a good guy uh, who's been a part of church for pretty much his entire life. He was uh, a part of the Jewish ruling council. He was the guy. If you want to be respected, if you had a question about God, you go to Nicodemus. He was the guy reading, memorizing the Old Testament before it was cool. This guy knew his stuff and he was respected for it. Nicodemus is drawn to Jesus. For some reason, he has to ask a question. We find it in John 3. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, hey, rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, there might be some sarcasm right here. Surely they cannot enter the second time in the mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. member of the Jewish ruling council, he had a big deal. It was a big deal. He had a great reputation. What do you do at night? Unless you have a pregnant wife and you get ice cream and bacon, you're hiding what you're doing at night or you're sleeping. He is basically coming to Jesus and saying, I have to ask you a question, but I don't want any of my peers to know. I don't want any of my buddies to know. I don't want anybody else on the Jewish ruling Council to know that I'm talking to you. And he asks the hard question of like, I I, I get that you're from God because you're doing amazing things, but why aren't you following our rules? Why aren't you following our traditions? Why aren't you like me? Jesus just destroys this guy's life. It's awesome. He reworks the priorities. And it's, it's when you think of destroyed, and, and my wife pointed this out to me a couple days ago, he's like, don't use the word destroyed because you think of damaged. I, I'm damaged. Hi. I'm totally damaged because of Jesus. And I love it. I'm grateful for it. He reworked Nicodemus' life completely because Nicodemus was all about the rules. He was all about their traditions. He was all about the black and white one, two, threes. Guys, if you're anything like me, I fall into this. I love being the moral police. This is right. This is wrong. You better be in the same one that I'm in. I'll even feel bad if we're in the same one and it's the wrong one. But still, I'll look at you and be like, hey, don't do that. This was the guy who invented morality, like you must obey, you must follow the rules, this is the structure, this is how you're going to get it done, and Jesus walks in and says it's not the rules that will save you, it's not the rules that will give you a relationship with Christ or with God, it's a faith in the grace that God gives. God, through Jesus Christ, saved us before we even knew about the rules, even knew about any of this. We didn't follow a single rule that Jesus went, oh, now you did it. That's great. I'll check this off and I'll love you now. He just loved you. So Nicodemus's life is just turned upside down. He's all about the rules. He's all about the program. He's all about the religion. And it's just messed up. Nicodemus has a second act in scripture, which I love. So he's coming at night and he's hiding from his buddies. We see Nicodemus later in scripture Um, in John 19. Let me set the stage for you. Jesus has just been tried illegally, accused falsely, and murdered for nothing. Absolutely. Trial happened in the middle of the night where nobody was around. I mean, it was was shady at best. Um, Nicodemus Shows up the day later. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by our buddy Nicodemus, the man who earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Nicodemus came at night to ask a question of Jesus. This time he comes during the day to bury Jesus. He brings 75 pounds of oil and nice smelling perfumes because in the desert, that's what you do to a loved one. You prepare their body. Nicodemus is risking everything so that he can worship and take care of Jesus. He he either, he got it that night or he got it in between, but he is making himself less so that Jesus could be more. He's risking his reputation, he's risking his wealth He's risking um, people's affection and respect for him. Matter of fact, um, these 75 pounds of spices um, is about $4,000 worth of materials to bury Jesus. Now, I don't know if Nicodemus was rich or if he just knew people that in a drop of a hat had that much money so that he could buy this and do this for Jesus. But he leveraged either his own wealth or he had a friend that he convinced to leverage this for Jesus Christ. All right, so we've got the gangster, Zacchaeus, that you may or may not feel any emotion to. We now have the good guy, the church guy, the morally upright guy. You might feel that. What about this guy? I don't even know this guy's name. All I know is he's rich and young. He could be a ruler, he could be a man. We find him in Matthew 19. Jesus, uh, just then a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good, Jesus replies. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shouldn't murder, shouldn't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, um, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says something mildly arrogant here. I've done all that. The young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Oh, wait a minute. The other two actually, his life was completely changed. Zacchaeus said, I'll, I'll give half my stuff away. Um, Nicodemus said, I'll, I'll, I'll risk all the respect and my job. The rich young ruler, the rich young man says, I, I, I have stuff, and I like my stuff, it's pretty. And he walks away sad. He hangs his head and he says, you know what? I've tried to follow the rules, and I was okay following the rules because it really didn't hurt that much. He says, you want me to do what? You want to give my stuff away? Jesus says, I-, I want you to take what you have, your wealth, your money, your experience, your education, your influence, whoever and whatever you are, and do something for others. Love others. Make it about others instead of just stockpiling and thinking you're great. And the rich young man says, "Uh, I'll pass. And this is where Stacy and I are, we're messed up. We've been having this conversation for a while and so I wanted to bring it to you to mess up your life. Um, How are the mufflers working out this idea of I need to become less so that he can become more? all areas of our lives. I mean, I work for a church, mm, that's cool, but i mean, I got kids, I've got a little money, I've got stuff, a couple cars, I have things, a lot of them are plastic pink things because I have two little girls, but I have things. <laughs> How are we reacting so that we look more like Zacchaeus? How do we react to look more like Nicodemus than this rich young man who says, well, I, I, uh, I like my stuff, I'm good. Perspective is difficult. Um, Jen Hatmaker has a book out, seven something. I probably should have wrote it down. Seven. Um, It's a book with seven on it, whatever. Um, And she says that as Americans, if our household income on average is $35,000 a year, we are top 4% in the world. You ready? This is going to be even harder. If your family makes over $50,000, you're 1%. To me, looking at the rich young man, I say, well, he's got a ton of stuff. Oh, he could do so much more than I can because, you know, I make this and I'm okay. You know, everything's all right. But, I mean, if we only had 20% more, this or that and the other thing. But did, you, did you hear that? The vast majority of the people sitting in this room, 4% or higher, we are the rich young man. Or, or old, or lady, whatever. That's been killing me because this entire journey 17 years of trying to follow after Christ i'm banging my head on the idea of how do I, how do i make john less so that he can become more how do i make the muffler's less so that he can become more how do i love people like god loved me even though i didn't even know god he saved me he forgave me even though i was a wreck how am i becoming less so that he can become more This is not meant to look at you and say, what are you doing? I'm saying we are in this boat together. We are on this journey together. How do we spur one another on to action? How do we spur one another to do great works for the glory of Jesus Christ? I got two minutes. Here we go. (laughs) I know, right? Two minutes. Um, Here's some next step ideas. No one expects any of us to go zero to 60 tomorrow. We'll just give up. It'll, It'll hurt. It'll be painful and we'll give up. I learned something a long time ago about money and I'm grateful for it. It was very hard and very easy all at the same time. I was driving a 1901 Chevy Cavalier. I mean it seemed it was horrible. It was wretched. No heater core, no AC. The thing broke down 20-30% of the time. An elder of mine at my first church, uh, Mark and Barb, uh, Mark comes up to me and says, hey, John, something kind of weird's happened in our family, and I have an extra truck that we're no longer ne- using. I could sell it, or I could give it to you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I had a hard time getting money out of my mom for allowance. You want to give me a truck? <laughs> and he says, you're having a hard time coming to church. You're having a tar- hard time hanging out at high schools or junior hires with, ki- with students. Would you-, would you like a truck? I-, I melted. Like, how do you say yes and no, and your brain explodes all at the same time? Mark was not a CEO. He did not own a company. He was actually worked in Wentzville, Missouri. He was on um, the production line of GM. He was not rich. He gave me the best example of if you see a need, you fill a need that the kingdom can, can never give. Like, he gave me that idea that if I have something and somebody needs it, I better share. I better take a little less of my own so I can give to somebody else. If I've got an extra pair, I don't know, shoes, maybe truck's a, a hard first step. I know. But what if it's lunch for your coworker and you know they're struggling? What if it's um, helping a neighbor kid get into preschool because they're struggling? Maybe instead of complaining about your neighbor's bad paint job on their house, you say, oh, maybe, maybe I'll just help them instead of judge them because their garage door looks like junk. How can we, as a body of believers, how can we as a family see a need and fill a need with our time, with our money, with our experience, our education? I don't care if you're a mechanic, but if you know how to teach a young college guy to do his own brakes, man, that's fantastic. Change his own brakes. Maybe it doesn't really matter too much about ability. It's just time. Maybe you can step up and... um, Be a part of the children's ministry. We're in a state of change, state of flux. We're shifting a few things. Some new things are coming around. Maybe you're not good with kids. I'm fine with that. But the team needs help. Maybe your experience. Maybe your finances. Maybe your tech skills. Maybe you've got a big, giant, inflatable something in the backyard. I don't know. Ask them. Maybe you can be a part of that team. Maybe you could be a part of that crew doing amazing things. The idea here, again, is taking these small, tiny steps to make us less, to make Christ more, so that the people around us understand our lives are not about us, and that's a big, big exclamation point. People start asking questions. People start paying attention. One last one. Um, This is funny, because when you pray, God delivers, but not exactly like you pray, because he's like that. It's awesome. Stacy and I, we've been here about a year, year and a half, um, and we just don't know our neighbors that well. And that's kind of sad. And so we've been praying, hey, how do we connect? How, you know, is it through our kids? Do we, you know, give out free candy? But, you know, there's better obsession on that. Um, how do we get to know our neighbors? Well, we, we've, we've met some new friends uh, in the recent past, and through some interesting situ- uh, situations with our family, they've got um, a, a tiny little baby and a two-year-old. He's unable to mow his lawn for two months. I hate mowing lawns, I do, but this voice in the back of my head said, but you've been praying for an opportunity to try to connect and love on somebody. And It's not about me. Remember, this life's not about me. It's not about John Muffler anymore. It's about Jesus. How do I make myself small to make God tall? So with the price of gas being $7,000 a gallon and all the free time I have, I, I know that's a horrible example. I get to love my neighbor. I literally get to love my neighbor like myself. How funny is that that God would answer that prayer? How can we as a church daydream? Let's daydream for a second. What if Sherwood Oaks Christian Church started taking some small steps? What if if the mufflers started taking some of these small steps? What if your family started taking some of these small steps to say, you know what? I'm going to be less so he can be more. I'm going to stop focusing on my life and make him the big deal. And I'm going to try and try and I'm going to fail. That's okay. And you're going to keep trying and we're going to keep trying because we're a family and we love each other. We're going to kick ourselves in the tail end every once in a while. Can you imagine what B-Town would be like if our church, if our families changed? They would look at this church on the south side doing weird things like hey what's that all about ask some questions maybe even show up what would your family look like if you were not about you you were about others that every single one of your family members wasn't the it's mine I get to have it it's a big deal but it's actually about them I'm going to take care of them I'm going to let them have I'm going to give up my game of thrones today so they can watch Nickelodeon whatever it is what if I think we can do it it's a huge challenge. It's a huge area of my life that I'm working on and I, I know some of you guys are working on it too. So I just want to encourage you, tell you I love you, I'm grateful for you as a family. Maybe it's time you've had a convers you, you need a conversation. Maybe it's a, a hard spiritual conversation. Maybe you're angry with God and you just want to vent. Maybe you want somebody to pray with you. We're here. Come on down. Come on down and have a conversation. If you want to get baptized, if you want to be a part of this church and membership, if you Just have a question. Come on down. We'd love to see you.